How do you handle change? Or have you ever had those things that are changing in your life and you absolutely do not want any part of it? Or have you felt that need to change, but you're just not sure which way to go? So today we are looking at a story with the apostles and this is after Jesus, the, the death and the resurrection. This is how they are living life. And the moment that we get to this story, we find out that Stephen, who had been part of the church, part of the community, has been killed. He has been murdered. And Saul, who will later become Paul after his conversion to Christianity, is part of Stephen's death. And it's interesting, right? This is a moment of change for the apostles, a moment that they did not want. They didn't want anything to happen to Stephen. Stephen's message was powerful. He was a friend. He was part of their group. And here, they've got to figure out how to go forward when the change that has happened is absolutely not what they wanted or what they had planned for. And so how do we begin to think through that? How do we ourselves handle change, right? Do we immediately go to anger or confusion, despair, sadness? Do we immediately resist it and want no part of it? How do we handle that change that's inevitable? Because as it always happens, every single day we are changing some way, somehow, whether we like it or not. And so how do we begin to handle it in a way that is connected to God, that the apostles are trying to live into and trying to help others to live into? So beginning in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, Saul was in full agreement with Stephen's murder. At that time, the church in Jerusalem began to be subjected to vicious harassment. Everyone except the apostles was scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some pious men buried Stephen and deeply grieved over him. Saul began to wreak havoc against the church, entering one house after another. He would drag off both men and women and throw them into prison. All right, so Saul, right, later to be named Paul after his conversion to Christianity, and he's going to have a lot of guilt, a lot of feelings about the things that he has done in the past. But here we get Saul, the self-righteous, angry, I, it's my way or it's, no, or it's no other way. And I'm going to do what I have to do, even to the point of destroying other people's lives. That is how self-righteous he has gotten himself in, that he is willing to hurt other people, to cause other people pain because he is so stuck in his way. And it's interesting to see what the apostles' response is. Everyone except the apostles was scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. So the apostles are still cohesive. And it's like, okay, they, they are together. They do not run. In fact, some of them, some pious men buried Stephen and deeply grieved over him. The apostles, they take time to grieve. They recognize the pain of this situation, which is absolutely important because this is a tragedy. But they do not run. They do not hide. They instead have to figure out a way forward. But the definite way that they are not going to do is they are not going to do what Saul did. 
They are not going to react in the same manner. They will not take revenge. This is not going to be a tit for tat. They are not going to be consumed by their own self-righteous, their own anger. They're not going to be planning to go after. And so here it's a recognition that the way the apostles are planning, the way that they are going to choose to go forward is not the same way as Saul. And so for ourselves, when we experience a tragedy which absolutely changes us and changes the dynamics around us, what are we willing to do? Not what do we want to do, but what are we willing to do that we need to do? Especially if it's in the realm of, you know, that first moment of going, man, I want some revenge. There needs to be some karma, but of being able to pull back and go, wait a minute, that may be their way, but that is not my way. So continuing on in verses 5 through 8, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and began to preach Christ to them. The crowds were united by what they heard Philip say and the signs they saw him perform, and they gave him their undivided attention. With loud shrieks, unclean spirits came out of many people, and many who were paralyzed or crippled were healed. There was great rejoicing in the city. All right, so Philip, one of the apostles, he sets off, went down to a city in Samaria and began to preach Christ to them. So if we're thinking about, okay, so what's he probably say? Well, he's probably talking about the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection. So he's, he's kind of covering that. And the definite like elements here of healing, how Christ was present with them, how Christ cared for them, how Christ encouraged them. And he is really trying to bring the people some hope, trying to bring a new perspective of how God's, like, God encompasses their entire lives. And so he's doing that, and there was much healing, and there was great rejoicing in the city. So Philip, who also has experienced Stephen's death, has experienced that tragedy, with the apostles who said, we're going to go forward in a different way, he's going to bring good out of the situation. He is actually going to live into what Stephen was preaching about, what Stephen was saying that got him killed. Philip is like, man, Stephen didn't die in vain. I'm going to continue to live that way. I'm going to continue to try to bring good out of the situation. So when we find ourselves in those places of tragedy, when we find ourselves in places of change that maybe we absolutely don't like, don't want, and have never planned on, how are we bringing good out of that situation? How do we bring good out of those moments, not just for ourselves, but for others? Change is inevitable, whether we like it or not. And so when we don't like it, how are we bringing good for ourselves and others? How are we not allowing it to have the last word on our life? Because only God gets to have the last word on our lives. Continuing on in verses 9 through 13. Before Philip's arrival, a certain man named Simon had practiced sorcery in that city and baffled the people of Samaria. He claimed to be a great person. Everyone from the least to the greatest gave him their undivided attention and referred to him as the power of God called great. He had their attention because he had baffled them with sorcery for a long time. After they came to believe, Philip, who preached the good news about God's kingdom in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Even Simon himself came to believe and was baptized. 
Afterward, he became one of Philip's supporters. As he saw firsthand the signs and great miracles that were happening, he was astonished. Now this caveat, right? So Philip is trying to bring good. He is trying to stay focused on Christ. He is trying to stay focused on how God encompasses their life and how Christ teaches them that God encompasses their lives. And so people are responding. People are excited. They are inspired by that. They are like, wait a minute, my life can really change at all kinds of levels. And this guy named Simon, who's a sorcerer, so think of an ancient day like Las Vegas, right? In Las Vegas, we've got magic shows, very famous magicians like David Blaine, David Copperfield, Shin Lim. We've got people who are doing really cool things that we absolutely do not understand unless they decide to reveal how they've done their magic trick. So Simon is like that. He's just the ancient version of it. So he's used to parlor tricks. He's, he's used to magic shows. He's used to a slide of hand. And here he finds something different. He finds something so inspiring that he actually is like, wait a minute, I want a piece of that. It's so easy for us to think, oh, well, Philip must have gr done an amazing speech. He must have given some philosophical discourse. But something more is happening, or else Simon wouldn't have responded in this way. Simon wouldn't have been so taken. So not only could Simon recognize when somebody's just doing a magic trick, when it's just a sleight of hand, but he would also recognize when somebody, okay, well, that's nice, but that doesn't change my life. And to think about, okay, what in the world is happening? Because here we get... Afterward, he became one of Philip's supporters as he saw firsthand the signs and great miracles that were happening. He was astonished. What are, what is, what is possibly those signs and great miracles? Because it seems to be outside of, well, just somebody like waving a magic wand because Simon can kind of do that. And so what in the world might it be? And so I want us to give a little bit of consideration to this about what are these signs and miracles? What might they include? And so I've come up with a few things to help get us kind of thinking about this. What if this sign and miracle included someone who was angry finding peace? Someone who couldn't forgive being able to let go? Someone who is full of revenge, being able to pray for the other person. Someone who thought they were worthless, finding their value. Someone who was consumed by sadness, living into joy. Someone who destroyed relationships, being able to cultivate them. Someone who only cared about themselves, taking the time now for others. Someone who thought they were incapable finding their confidence. Someone who never listened to anyone, they become the listening ear for everyone. Someone who was consumed by negativity, being able to see the beauty in everything. Someone who made awful decisions, embracing wisdom. Someone who has practices that undercut their success, changing their habits. Someone who could never be honest, 
with themselves and usually others pursuing truth. Someone who never considered how their decisions impacted others becoming self-aware. Someone who is consumed with perfectionism being able to set it aside. Someone who keeps control of everything being able to take a step back. Now, maybe we know people who struggle in those areas. Maybe those are areas that we ourselves struggle with it day in and day out. And maybe that got us thinking about other things. And what if those are the signs and miracles? Because that is totally different than a sleight of hand, than just a philosophical great speech that inspires. But here we're getting at something like, wow, I can't believe that person changed. Now that is a miracle. And so what if that's what's happening? And Simon's witnessing this and he's like, wait a minute, I don't have to keep staying in this space that I'm in. And he's somebody that probably had a really comfortable life. Like he obviously was thought of as great, the power of God called great. That's what people referred to him as. He probably had plenty of money. He probably had plenty of respect. He had the life that many would say, I want that. And yet he recognizes that something is missing that something important is missing about the way that he is able to change and direct himself in new ways. And he's witnessing it with Philip because Philip is not only saying it, he is living it. And so there's something very powerful in when our words match up with our actions, especially when it's around this whole thing of how God encompasses our life, because God encompasses our life in love and forgiveness, in mercy and peace and joy and encouragement. And so when we begin to think that way, it shifts us. It redirects us in what is possible in our lives and in other people's lives. Continuing on in 14 uh, through 19. When the word reached the apostles in Jerusalem that Samaria had accepted God's word, they commissioned Peter and John to go to Samaria. Peter and John went down to Samaria where they prayed that the new believers would receive the Holy Spirit. This was because the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen on any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So Peter and John laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon perceived that the Spirit was given through the laying of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. He said, give me this authority too so that anyone on whom I lay my hands will receive the Holy Spirit. All right, a few things are happening here with this whole thing about the Holy Spirit, which is the presence of God and how the presence of God is with us. And this whole moment of the laying on of hands is a concrete representation of how God's presence is always with us and how God's presence is realized in that moment. Because there are times when we're looking through scripture, especially in the book of Acts, where people have recognized already that they have the Holy Spirit, that they have the presence of God, 
and they haven't been baptized. They haven't had a laying out of hands. And so here, it's like Peter and John come to be like, no, you guys really do have the presence of God with you. And Simon goes, oh, I got it. Like, yes, something absolutely is different. But then, even though he's in the midst of change, even though he wants to change his life, he's already on that path. He makes this statement that like slips him back into some old habits. Give me this authority too, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands will receive the Holy Spirit. Maybe he's just really excited. And he's like, I want to be able to do that. I want people to know what this feels like. I want people to know that God's presence is with them. But what he doesn't realize is that he doesn't have to like, throw money at it to get it. In fact, that's commodifying God. That's commodifying God's presence. Instead, what he doesn't, it's, it's weird. Like what he realizes is that something is different, but what he doesn't realize is the fact that he can have the presence of God and be able to share it with others, be able to share that presence when he is living into it. When his actions and words begin to change, when he be, is able to begin to shift the way that he navigates the world, he himself can be sharing the Holy Spirit with others. But he's kind of skipped over that. He's kind of missed that part of the journey. And so he slipped back into an old habit of transaction of, well, if I can get this, what do I have to give for it? Instead of recognizing that as he lives into God's presence, he is able to share that with others. Continuing on in verses 20 through 25, Peter responded, May your money be condemned to hell along with you because you believed you could buy God's gift with money. You can have no part to share in God's word because your heart isn't right with God. Therefore, change your heart and life Turn from your wickedness, plead with the Lord in the hope that your wicked intent can be forgiven. For I see that your bitterness has poisoned you and evil has you in chains. Simon replied, all of you, please plead to the Lord for me so that nothing of what you have said will happen to me. After the apostles had testified and proclaimed the Lord's word, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the good news to the many Samaritan villages along the way. All right. So Peter has a response. Simon wants to pay. Simon's misguided in this moment. He's off track. And Peter's response feels like an absolute force of nature. In fact, it feels almost like the storm we had Thursday night here in Michigan where it was intense, over the top, and then it quickly subsided. It was quickly gone, and the sun came out. But in the moment, it was a force of nature. And Peter feels like a force of nature in what he has to say to Simon. But he's giving possibility. So yes, he is, it almost feels like overreacting to the situation, which it is Peter, and maybe there's an element of that. But he also in that says, therefore, change your heart and life. It's that sense of, that's not where you have to stay, Simon. And Simon's response, that's what's really important for us to consider how the words of Peter are received. Because for maybe us, if we had somebody talk to us that way, we'd be like turned off, like, I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want to be part of this conversation. You can just stop right now. You've turned me off. 
But that's not what happens for Simon. Simon hears what Peter says, and he's like, oh, I've got you. All of you, please plead to the Lord for me so that nothing of what you have said will happen to me. He's like, got it. I need to change. I can't do this alone. I'm going to need some help. And for ourselves, when we know we need to change, who do we have? Who do we ask to help us? Who do we invite into that space? But something else here that really we need to think very deeply about. Peter speaks a hard truth to Simon. And Simon's response is, yep, you know what? You're right. I got to go in a different direction. Shouldn't have. Yeah, you know what? Fell back into an old habit. I do absolutely, and I need some help to change my heart and my life. Who do we allow in our lives? Who do we allow to speak hard truths to us? Because all of us at some point need to hear some hard truths. And so who do we allow to speak that? Who do we allow that absolutely has our best intentions, but they will not hold back because they absolutely want us to know love and peace and joy. Like they want us to feel like God encompasses our lives. Who do we allow to speak hard truths with to us in those moments that are absolutely most needed? Now, maybe we so easily start to fall into who we speak to with hard truths. And there is that part to consider, but here for the moment, let us really focus on who in our life can we identify right now that we allow to speak some hard truths to us when we need it that can bring us back to that love and that peace, can bring us back to a life that's filled with joy. Who do we surround ourselves with and we say, okay, they, they have that ability. Who do we listen to in the midst of change when maybe we want it or maybe we don't that can give us perspective and clarity because they're willing to speak truth to us, even when it is uncomfortable, even when initially it hurts, but ultimately it is for the best. It will ultimately change our lives for the better. Who do we keep around us that will speak those truths out of the best of intentions, out of a place of love, because they want us to have that love and peace in our own lives? And so for this story of how the apostles navigate, coming out of an absolute tragedy of how they begin to make choices and decisions that look nothing like what has happened to them, but instead they choose to bring good, how will we allow this story to challenge us in the ways that our lives change, whether we are making that decision or not? How do we handle that change in such a way that not only brings good, but it also begins to change us in ways that are, are so, like a miracle, like are a miracle that all of a sudden we can now be. How are we allowing that space for those to speak truth to us when we are dealing with the changes we like, we dislike, we need, we really don't want to do? How do we allow this story to challenge us this day? Amen.